0: The CEO Roundtable brings together operations professionals at the top of their game to define and explore what it means to be highly effective in a scale-up organization. And what sits at the heart of it is highly curated peer-to-peer roundtables where CEOs talk about things that matter.
1: I absolutely love my roundtable. We've been together for about two years. And without exaggeration, I have made friends for life.
0: To find out more, go to cooroundtable.com. That's cooroundtable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Operations Room, a podcast for COOs. I am Brandon Minsinger, and as always, joined by my lovely co host, Bethany Ayers. How are things going, Bethany?
1: Going well. I like how you're like, as always, and that certainly makes me feel like I'm going to be sucked (laughs) up out of the universe by aliens or something, or just like die crossing the street or be replaced. Thanks. Exactly,
0: exactly. (laughs) You never quite know.
1: Keep me on my toes. Interestingly, we are, you know, again, the magic of not actually recording on the day that it's being released. We released our generative AI episode yesterday. And as part of that, I got a bit inspired to try out Bard rather than ChatGPT for some content creation. For anybody who doesn't know, Bard is Google's version of ChatGPT. And I was doing that because I find writing really difficult and content creation really difficult and we are working on a new page for our website which is around sponsorship and so i put in a prompt of basically write a website copy for a podcast for coos sponsorship opportunities And what it produced, not only was it like a complete set of content, including all of our packages and definitions of all of the packages, which I was like, oh, great. We don't have to think about this anymore.
0: Pre-packaged. I love it.
1: Pre-packaged. But it also knew to call it the operations room, had our tagline and a lot of our verbiage, which ChatGPD doesn't. And so I'm assuming that Google, because we use Google Docs. Was just taking all of our internal content and using that as part of the generative AI, which in one way awesome. It makes it much more tailored to us, but also I guess using it everywhere else.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? As content creators, whatever we generate is being consumed by these algorithms and being spat back to us. I mean, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. So I can imagine. All the podcasts that we create, all the documents we create related to the podcast, somehow it's going to suck all this stuff up. And from a privacy or whatever you want to call it, confidentiality standpoint, I feel like there is none anymore. It's just like it's being consumed and used for purposes.
1: (laughs) I think basically there's no more privacy. It's just hiding in data.
0: So, we have a super interesting and inspiring talk today, uh, which is systemizing radical candor for an organization. Can it actually be done? And we've tracked down one single individual in the UK who has actually tried. Uh, His name is uh, Mr. Ben Gately from Charlie HR, and we'll be talking to him in a few minutes. But before we get to that, Bethany, I just wanted to roll through a couple thoughts here related to radical candor. And the first one is this, which is, As we know, giving feedback is very stressful and can be very difficult for individuals, in particular if it's negative feedback. And a lot of people have a lot of fear around this, and this is why feedback or continuous feedback continues to be a challenge for individuals and and for organizations at large. And a lot of this, I think, is premised around this question of vulnerability, because to receive feedback and to hear what somebody is telling you and to also give feedback in a way that you can actually... Have the trust there and have a relationship whereby that person can hear you and have the courage to do so requires this core uh, element of vulnerability. What's your take on that?
1: Before I answer that question, I just have to share a story that you talking reminded me of early in my career. So I was at New Voice Media and I had been there, I don't know, maybe three months, maybe six months. And we were subjected to 360 reviews. Not entirely sure why. There was not a lot of trust in the organization yet. It wasn't explained why we were doing 360 reviews. And I ended up being the first one to receive feedback. It reminds me of how far I've come on my own personal journey and to have a bit more empathy for people who are (laughs) earlier in the emotional resilience category. I can't remember, but it was like a scale of, let's say, one to five. And it was all these different elements and I was still I was in my early 30s so I wasn't young but I was still in that need straight A's kind of mindset and anything less than a 5 was a failure and I was really quite nervous about having the feedback and there was um my mentor in the room and the CEO and we got to like question number 3 and it was how strong is my commercial acumen and I think I got a 4 or maybe heaven forbid a 3 And I just started like crying and I wasn't sobbing, but there were just tears and it was horrible. And we went through the rest of the feedback and I just cried throughout the entire set of feedback on anything where I didn't get a five and like the feedback for the three, because I had decided that I was really good at commercial acumen and the CFO who gave me the feedback, although somehow it's 360 anonymous, but I still knew it was him. I don't remember the whole process.
0: That's always the case in 360 feedback. You always end up knowing you can reverse engineer it to the individual.
1: <laughs> and he gave me a lower score because like, he didn't think I negotiated a contract particularly well. But my definition of commercial acumen was the fact that I had completely redone our pricing, doubled it, and sold more. And I thought I had great commercial acumen. So anyhow, I guess... I would not cry throughout that entire feedback process anymore. is point one. Like I have a lot more emotional resilience and I can understand that I'm not perfect at everything. And if I'm not perfect at something doesn't mean I should be banished to hell. But at that point in my life, totally believed that. And then secondly, I think there's some lessons in like how to give feedback and the things that you should do for a 360 review, like contextualize it. Make sure that we're all speaking the same language, know what we're trying to get out of the 360 review before we go into it. And maybe not have like the two most important people in somebody's life there on one side of the desk while you're on the other. I completely
0: agree with all of that. A lot of my attitude towards feedback. And I think I referenced this back to a previous episode that we'd done. Initially, in my career, I rejected a lot, thought a lot of it didn't make sense for all sorts of reasons, a lot of self-rationalizing in a way. And I think as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that that feedback is gold in a lot of ways, and I've been much more embracing year by year of that. And every time I've gotten negative feedback or critical feedback, and I've I've really saw it for what it is objectively as I possibly can, and I act on it—probably, which is the most important thing—I become a better version of myself, and I become a better leader because of it. And sometimes it's painful to go through, but ultimately, when you come through the other side, you know, if you act on it and take it seriously, you can really build a leadership set of skills that otherwise would never happen.
1: Absolutely. Like, I think that giving feedback is the greatest gift you can give to somebody else.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So actually, that's a good segue, uh, which is I want to walk through one by one rules of thumb that are out there. And I just want to get your take on each of these rules of thumb. So the first one is this idea of praising publicly and uh, criticizing privately. What's your take on axiom number one?
1: So this is an interesting one for me because I mostly agree, but not a hundred percent agree. So praising publicly, nobody's going to say no to that. I also think it's important to praise privately because oftentimes the things that you might be praising or giving feedback on privately are not publicly exciting, but still could be very valuable. But the criticizing publicly I think it depends on what the criticism is if it's something personal if it's something unique to that person then yes privately but if it's affecting the team composition or you're like somebody is really rude to somebody else or their behavior is beyond the bounds of what the team has agreed is reasonable it's important for the rest of the team for that situation to be addressed publicly, because it's not just that one person. It's not like you have a typo on your page or that's a really ugly slide, but you have just insulted somebody without realizing it. And everybody else in the room knows we need to talk about it. But within a team, I think it's important to surface difficult conversations and dynamics to keep the team safe. So part of it is first creating a team in which you can do that, And then the next part is not shaming that person or saying, I don't understand why you did that. You're a horrible person, but more, this has just happened. I can tell that people are quite uncomfortable. That behavior wasn't something that we normally expect. We need to address it. So it's more coming from the impact on the team rather than the individual.
0: Is the individual in the room in that case, or is that an after the fact separate
1: Like a lot of times for me, it would be things that happen in the room or everybody has produced their content on time. And one person is like, oh, I didn't even know it was due today. You can't let the person off the hook in a safe team because then everybody's like, well, what does that matter? Like I worked really hard. I worked overnight. I made sure to hit the deadline and this person hasn't done anything. And now the leader is just saying, well, that's okay. We'll talk about it later. It's not fair for everyone else in the room.
0: Yeah, there, there is a here in terms of leadership, because oftentimes, I think people, uh, teams sometimes doesn't know that you've had a conversation with that person about whatever behaviors happen, and they feel, the wider team feels like nothing's been done because you've had a private conversation. And I think to your point, it sometimes becomes incredibly important to signal to the wider team, the wider org, that something matters, some value matters, some behavior matters on my side of things. Giving people praise does not come naturally to me. I don't think about it on an active basis. So what I've actually done and what was recommended to me, and I've taken this to heart, I always put a note in Evernote about what the person did, what traitor characteristic that I saw that I truly appreciated, what was the circumstance that was surrounding that, and make a very clear note of it. Otherwise, I will forget other things will take hold and I'll I'll just not come back to it. And uh, I've done that on a consistent basis now for a couple of years and it works well. I'll review the Evernote at some point, you know, the next day or so, and then try to package up my feedback for the individual and it works quite well in that case. So axiom number two, you should give criticism within a 24 hour period and to kill the shit sandwich as it's been referred to.
1: Yeah, I guess there's two. So In terms of no more shit sandwiches, yeah, 100%. They don't work. I don't deliver them well. I never remember what I'm supposed to do. I freak out about it. And also, like, nobody hears a good bit because they know what's coming. And they're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, what embracing themselves for the bad bit. In terms of the giving feedback within 24 hours, I think it really depends on the type of feedback. There's the, oh, you should have said that better in the meeting, or you say, um, all the time or I don't know, you sat in a weird way in the corner when everybody else was together, uh, kind of feedback. But then- (laughs) Love
0: that feedback.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think, like just like random, (laughs) inconsequential, quick behavior changes, by the way. Don't know if you realized it, but we could all tell you were cutting your fingernails on Zoom. But where I find it's worthwhile to wait on feedback is the meaningful feedback. And that's just because I tend to- observe and notice something that's happening. And then maybe notice that behavior showing up in multiple ways and address it in a one-to-one where I have thought it through and able to give multiple examples and just be really curious around it. Whereas like, I feel like the quick feedback, there's not a huge amount of space, making the space to talk about it. Maybe that's just me. I should make more space to do it sooner, but sometimes It's not one action. It's a series of actions that leads you to a conclusion or an insight worth sharing.
0: You're right. There's kind of a simple transactional feedback where you can have a conversation of feedback around it, I think. I think sometimes in certain cases, to your point, there's kind of a, a connecting of dots around the individual that is a more deeply insightful piece of feedback that can actually be quite powerful for the individual, but it's a connecting of dots and it requires a bit of thought as well. And I think you're right. There's a different scenario that's not a, transactional 24-hour piece of feedback. The third axiom is, so as a senior leader of the business, being the CEO, you constantly have individuals coming to you moaning about other individuals where they're like, oh, Sam does this, Jane does that. And the axiom in this case is simply to redirect that individual to go talk to that individual that they're speaking about or moaning about with you to them and doing that that clear redirect. What's your take on that one?
1: A hundred percent, yes. It gets you out of just situations you don't need to be part of, but also it makes sure that everybody starts to learn how to give feedback. And it's not like, oh, you're the brash American. You do all of my talking for me. Sometimes I will work with people and we can practice because sometimes I can tell that they're either never going to do it or they're going to say it in a way that the other person doesn't understand. So I'll say, like, okay, you need to go and talk to them. And I'm like, well, why don't we just role play it? So I'm going to be John. Typing away, hi Bob. Yeah. What do you have to talk about today? And then we work it through. And after they try a couple times, it helps.
0: Yeah, I love that, Bethany. That is a fabulous tip. All right, axiom number four: When you give constructive praise, it should be frequent and specific, and to really single out the behavior trait to that individual to ensure that it's not just Jane, you've done a great job, but in fact, Jane, you did X and the why circumstances around it, and to try to make it very specific to try to replicate that behavior going forward within Jane in this case. What's your thought on that
1: one? 100% again. Now, that's one that I actually picked up from a parenting book rather than a leadership book.
0: (laughs) It works in both
1: cases. (laughs) It does. So I was a first-time leader and a first-time parent at the same time and was alternating parenting books and leadership books and realized that basically it was the same advice in both books. And then I'm just like... I guess you know children are humans as well, rather than taking it as we're infantilizing our coworkers. Um, I think we're more maturing our children and they can handle more than we realize. I'm actually really good at that because I've had 15 years of practice at home. Like, love the way you rinse that dish and then put it in the dishwasher. <laughs> Do some more of that.
0: <laughs> Last axiom in this case, when you discuss feedback with a person to try to be explicit around the kind of feedback that you're giving them so they understand where you're coming from. And the three types of feedback in this case, one is appreciation, which is pretty obvious in terms of praise, but there's a, I think a distinction between the next two, which is you're giving the feedback for coaching purposes or you're giving them feedback for evaluation purposes, which are very different things. And with that axiom, I'll just give a quick story and toss it to you, Bethany. But I was working with an individual in their first 90 days before probation, and i given them continuous feedback around their performance. And in my eyes, it was very much evaluation feedback, because I knew their probation was coming up over the course of the, the few months. And I think that individual took it as coaching feedback, which was a very different thing. And in this case, what ended up happening was that 90 days was up, the probation was finished, and the day prior to that, which in my mind, I had given this person a tremendous amount of feedback over that three-month period, I had a conversation whereby I was letting him go from the company. And that surprised him tremendously. And what shocked me about the conversation at that point was the fact that he was he was surprised. And I think my reflection on that conversation post that was was this idea that, he misunderstood where I was coming from. I think there was two things. One is he misunderstood where I was coming from in terms of evaluation feedback versus coaching feedback. And I think number two, to this nod to radical candor, I don't think I was being clear enough to him whereby he actually understood what I was saying. And I think the radical candor in that quadrant, what I should have been doing is pushing harder on the direct feedback to really get him to understand what I was truly telling him so he understood it and actually gave him the time, space to be able to pass probation as opposed to what ended up happening in this case. So with that, I'll pass it to you. What's your take on this one?
1: So I've never thought about it. It's really helpful to think about coaching versus evaluation feedback and something I'll bring into the arsenal. I think I do it quite often subconsciously, or maybe it's around like things to consider versus areas to address. And also, maybe the context of like, okay, here's your performance review, or we're talking about your performance in last month. These are the issues that I saw, and this is what we're talking about, versus you're very ambitious. You want to move into a new role. These are some of the things that are holding you back. But I really like naming it quite clearly like that. I have a question for you, Brandon. So, best practice is, I think, You've been doing more research on this than I have, but this is best practice I have heard in the past, is that before giving feedback, you should ask if somebody would like feedback.
0: Ah, yes. That is a great axiom.
1: Do you remember to do that?
0: It is a good point. Uh, no, I
1: don't. <laughs> oh, oh, good. It's not just me. <laughs> I'll often start in and then I'll be like, oh, I'm supposed to ask. <laughs> and then we're halfway through. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Because actually, this is a great point. Because oftentimes, the person has to be in the right space to be able to have that kind of conversation. And if they're not, you need to ask the question and get the answer. Because if they're not, it kind of defeats the purpose almost of what the feedback might be.
1: No more axioms, but I just have a couple of things that I'd like to add in terms of ways that I feel like I've been able to create an environment where there's been more appetite for feedback is in one to ones with my direct reports, our formal one to ones, not our weekly ones. We had a set. Agenda. One of those were things that have done well. So kind of to your point, we make sure to cover the good bits, not as a shit sandwich, but just like, let's reflect on all the things that went well. And my observation is their observations. But we always kept the last 10 to 15 minutes to be their feedback to me. When I first started doing it with my team, they're like, you're fine. Everything's great. You're great. And they were just so freaked out about it. I'm like, okay, well, that's not very helpful, but we're going to have this agenda item next time. And after like maybe four or five months, I started getting really good feedback and it was really helpful. And being able to model accepting it. And sometimes it wasn't easy feedback and it'd be like, oftentimes it'd be not easy feedback that I knew. And every so often I'd be blindsided by something, but being able to accept it knowing the intent behind it really helped the team also be able to accept more and greater feedback from me and from their peers.
0: I think this is an axiom actually, which is you need to give and to get as leaders of the business. Again, we're not special. We're subject to the same rules of the road as anyone else in this case. And we're flawed as anyone else is as well. And the feedback, again, is just tremendously important for us to hear as it is anyone else in this case.
1: And I think also what I started to do was frame it. As I said at the beginning, that good feedback is the best gift you can give to anyone. And so I would be like, well, that wasn't good feedback for me, Like, as in it wasn't particularly helpful. And I'm like, I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I want to be better. Tell me how I can be better. And if you start to be greedy about your feedback, it means that other people will see it as a giving rather than as a scary taking away of self-esteem.
0: Something else occurred to me as you're speaking. The the other thing, which I think is actually quite relevant, is the individual sensitivity to feedback that people have, because everyone's different in terms of their stage of career, their maturity, where they're at, how they receive feedback as individuals, regardless of stage and age in this case as well. And I think really just getting honed in with the people that report into you very clearly in terms of What is their sensitivity to feedback and how does feedback need to be constructed for that individual to ensure that they're the right mind space, they can really have a proper conversation, and you're giving feedback in a way that they can hear it essentially. And I think that's also incredibly important.
1: That actually comes back to the original axiom of feedback little and often or within 24 hours. I had somebody in my team who specifically said, I hate that. I don't want it. It stresses me out. Then I never can relax because I never will know when it's going to happen. Can you save it all up for the end of the month? And I had somebody else who wanted it all written to be ahead of time, like a week ahead, so they could think it through and then we could have a conversation and they could get through the emoting bits.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because literally, as you are saying that, I would have no inclination whatsoever that that was the case with them. You know, as a line manager, I'd be like, Brandon gives feedback and the way that I give feedback. it's Everyone gets the same treatment. And to your point, that is not a good idea. <laughs> it really <laughs> should be um, fit for purpose for the individual because that's where it matters. So whether they want written feedback, saved up feedback for a time period or whatever, I think really getting honed in on those individuals and what they need in that case is incredibly useful.
1: And actually, I had one person who was like, I don't want you to approach me, but I will come to you and I will ask for feedback when I'm ready. And I loved that. Like, I wish everybody could do that. That's my favorite.
0: That's a great one. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Yes. I feel like I'm, <laughs> like I'm back in the zone here. I've had to a, had a give feedback in a way that actually makes sense. So with that, we are now geared up for our conversation with Ben Gately and to talk about systematizing radical candor for an organization. So let's do that.
1: I am delighted to welcome Ben Gately to the podcast today. Ben is the co-founder of Charlie HR. He was originally the COO and a few years ago became CEO. And what we're really keen to talk to him today about is Radical Candor. So first of all, Ben, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, really, really excited to be here.
1: I think the first question, particularly for Americans, I don't know, Brandon, I might link you into this and call it North Americans, although Canadians are known to be slightly nicer than Americans. What made you decide to try out radical candor in what I consider the most passive, aggressive and conflict avoidant culture I've ever had to deal with?
2: Cool. So maybe the best thing to like frame for the listeners is kind of like when we talk about radical candor, like what do we actually mean mean by that? There might be people listening that, that think, What is reprobando? Is it some kind of weird cult? It's a term that, I guess, was coined by an author, a wonderful lady called Kim Scott. She thinks about this idea of feedback across a a matrix or, or a vector of two things. How direct we are with someone and how much we care about them. And Kim's thesis is that you're able to deliver the most valuable, life-affirming, growth-empowering feedback to a person if you care personally about that individual and are incredibly direct with how you deliver that feedback. And that's what radical candor is. It is not aggressive. It is not when I don't care about the person and actually I just want to like say to them, hey, Brandon, I think you did an awful job it's actually, I want to make Brandon better. I want to, I really care about him and the way that he's growing and developing in this organization. And so I also want to be really direct about how we can improve. So if we care personally, and we're very direct, we do that together, we can deliver this really impactful style and type of feedback.
1: But what made you decide?
2: I think that in the UK, we're very bad at giving feedback, particularly direct feedback. And I would say that getting good and honest perspective from people about the way that you're performing, often the things that you don't know you're doing, you know, the unknown unknowns, the things that we don't know about ourselves, the things that we're unaware of, is the stuff that can have the greatest impact on your ability to thrive. And I would say that both personally and in the workplace.
0: Radical Candor as a book is a bit of phenomena. People know of Radical Candor as an actual book to be read within the business culture a little bit. And I feel like from an organizational standpoint, I've never seen a company ever implemented across the entire organization. The inspiration to do that, as opposed to anything else you could do in a scale-up, because you know this better, Ben, than most, which is in a scale-up company, you have all sorts of priorities to get done. Very basic things in a lot of cases, which is, you know, we need a career progression framework. We need this. We need that. You're sitting there with a bunch of priorities to get done, and this one, for you, bubble to the surface in a way uniquely, as opposed to any other scale-up that I've seen out there. Why is that?
2: It's a great question. I would say two things, philosophy and the space that we sit in. So philosophically, it's my second business. I love to run businesses. I really enjoy it. I definitely don't think of myself. I know you introd me as a founder, but I definitely don't think of myself as a founder. Like I come up with the worst ideas. I love running companies. And so philosophically, I really want to enjoy that journey. I am obsessed with the idea that the top of the mountain or the finish line that you're aiming for is never as exciting as you think it's going to be. Or it's never as life affirming as you think it's going to be. The journey is far more important than we realize. And my personal promise to myself is to enjoy the journey. I do not want to be that person that is miserable for 10 years, gets to the end and realizes, oh, that wasn't as great and as amazing as I thought it was going to be. And you know, I say that as someone that has sold a previous company. So I've kind of had an experience of what that feels like. And so when I'm running a company, I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy that process both to me and the team so philosophically we're much more likely to experiment and try stuff at the moment you know we've been experimenting with a nine- day fortnight we've experimented with unlimited holiday policies we've tried lots of things and then industry so Charlie HR it's about being your first HR expert that you hire when you're a micro business so the UK is made up of one and a half million businesses between the sizes of zero and fifty. And everyone in our market buggers off and serves companies that are 100, hundred, 1, two hundred, a thousand, two thousand people. And everyone ignores these tiny businesses, not us. And so because we're in that industry, in that space, in supporting people with their HR, we want to play with it and experiment with the with how you can run companies and how you can think about these policies. And so We try and be creative with that, and yeah, that's a lot of where our inspiration comes for for experimenting with these types of ways of working. Hence, this one.
1: So, did you introduce radical candor at the start, as in part of the frame or part of the fabric of Charlie HR, or did you already have a company and employees and then introduce it then?
2: We had the company, we had the employees. I think we were sort of fifteen people maybe at that time, so still relatively small. But yeah, it was part of that sort of early ethos. You know, my co-founder Rob loves feedback as well. Like I would say, that's always been something that's been always very hot on his agenda. And so, yeah, it was was something that we played around and thought about. At that sort of 15 people point, that was the point we thought, yeah, let's do this. And I guess the key ceremony that we used to roll it out, which... It's kind of part of one of the reasons why we we, we got rid of it is once a week, the entire team would sit around together in a group, in a circle and openly give each other feedback. So we'd sit down as a team and I'd say, hey, Brandon or hey, Beth, I think that meeting last week, I think you were underprepared and that made me frustrated and meant that I didn't bring my full self to work or my full self to that meeting. And we would do that as a group.
1: So the first question that came to mind is, that's a lot of work for the people giving feedback. Like you have to think about it all the time and you have to be like, you just constantly taking notes of something I actually want to be able to bring up in this circle, or does it become quite natural that everybody has these things that they observe and are ready to share?
2: Yeah, that is it, it, a, a good question. So and I guess that this is kind of like my overall conclusion and my general thesis on any business advice is that nothing should ever be taken in its pure form
1: <laughs> just yes okrs okay, sorry ben <laughs> just interrupting you there yeah
2: so to communicate effectively an idea what i need to do is i need to distill it to its simplest components but we work in a crazy world companies are still made up of people not ai and best thing about people is that humans are art not science and what I mean by that is they are completely different completely unique and they are dynamic in the way that they behave in the way that they interact and you can't predict that and so yes if I need to write a book I need to distill that idea into the simplest possible way So I can communicate that effectively to you, but nothing should ever be taken in its pure form because it doesn't work like that. And so, you know, every example where we've taken something and tried to apply it in, in a pure sense, it's not really worked because people have bad days and people turn up grouchy and people forget to do what you've asked of them. And So ultimately, that's where these things fall down is that sounds like a lovely idea, but very hard to do that effectively well continuously. So ultimately it can work in theory, but the actual practicalities of having 15 people prepared in the right headspace every single week is a whole nother thing.
1: I bet if you tested their cortisone levels as well going into those meetings, there would be people that were just like massively stressed even if they weren't showing it, like knowing every Friday you're going to come and get who knows what would be very difficult.
2: 100%. And, like, you know, your job as a leader, I think, is to understand the system that you're applying to your business, right? Like, What is your operating thesis? What is your style, right? Like, understand that and then understand how you can apply the people that you have in the business to that system and get the best out of them. And that means you have to apply a unique approach from person to person, ultimately, because we're all different And so like someone that is incredibly extroverted, you know, we had a a senior engineer that loved coming and giving loads of feedback, super extroverted, really enjoyed doing it, quite confrontational. We had other introverted people on the team that were like, this is an absolute nightmare. Like, this is awful. I hate this. So, you know, one of my learnings is that I'm relatively anti-blanket stuff like that for that reason.
0: Okay, so that's the first version, which is the circle, the feedback. You ultimately decided that it wasn't working for the reasons you've just laid out. What was the second crack at this, or the second iteration?
2: I guess the second iteration was, can we take the thesis of Radical Candor, and can we just build a strong culture of feedback? You know, Using Radical Candor as the end goal that we're trying to head towards. To me, that's kind of how I view Kim's diagram and Kim's work, is That's kind of what we're aiming for. If as an organization, we had any holes that we were going to fall into, it was much more likely, and definitely this is how I kind of am orientated as a leader. If If anything, there have been stages in my career where I've cared too much. I would say I'm much better at that now, second half of my career versus the first half. But if we look at the diagram that Kim shares, where we have this sort of caring personally axis, I'm kind of, at points have been up towards the top of that, you know, and then the, the second axis is sort of how much you're challenging the person in your directness. And I would say if if we had a hole to fall into, it would be the sort of left-hand quadrant of that diagram, which is what Kim describes as ruinous empathy. So ruinous empathy is where we really, really care about the person, and because we care about the person, we're like, oh God, I love Beth so much. I can't say to her, I just think that was a bad decision. Like I don't want to make her feel bad. And so I use radical candor. And I would say this is kind of how we operationalized it as a part two, as a something that we're aspiring for and also a reminder of where you want to and what you want to avoid. Kim tells this amazing story of. It's either her story or it's her manager's story. And I've definitely also stolen the story and like made it my own at some points. But I think the reason I've done that is that we've all experienced this. We've experienced a person that has come to work for you. And the reality is they've probably been quite a strong performer, but they've had a behavior which, you know, either it's like turning up to meetings unprepared or being a bit defensive or whatever it is. It's always the stuff that's in the margins. It's never the, like, you cannot sell stuff. It's always this stuff that sits in the margins. But we really like them, and they're pretty effective at their job. But we avoid telling them that thing that's really stopping them from becoming, like, a true superstar. They eventually leave. They go somewhere else. And then they get let go, you know, within the first three, six, nine months because, actually... That new employer is like, hey, hold on a second. That's not acceptable. And they come back to you and they say, Hey, Ben, I've just got to let go. And they said it's because I always turned up to meetings a bit late. But like, I didn't do anything differently from what I did with you, but like it wasn't a problem for you. And you're like, oh, actually, no, it was a problem. But I just didn't tell you that I thought it was a problem because I was exhibiting too much ruinous empathy. So I think that's definitely the quadrant that we worried about. And so trying to use Radical candor directionally is saying, look, we want to care about people. But we also want to be really direct and honest with them. And then trying to build a feedback culture around that was kind of how we thought about it as a sort of a veto.
1: So this sounds very similar to cultures that I have seen, working cultures I've seen, particularly in the UK. And I think it is kind of going back to the original intro. A, I suspect it's everywhere, but the UK sense lends itself a bit to that because there is such a fear of being rude and the difference between being rude and caring and being able to say something direct even, and like to American ears, things can be massively subtle and not a big deal at all that to an English ear is like shockingly open. But what I've also seen is companies struggle with, yes, we want to build a feedback culture, but how do you do it within one-to-ones? Obviously all getting together and sitting in a circle once a week did not work, but what are the cadences, the rhythms, the traditions that mean that you actually do build it in?
2: If it's okay, I'll address the UK thing because I think that's really interesting. because I, the reason why I think we're crap at it in the UK is we're bad cheerleaders. People might not be watching this, they might not be hearing this, but I'm wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat. I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm like diehard hard NFL fan, you know, I lived in Kentucky for two years when I was 10 and 11, a really important part of my life. And I'd come from like a London day school where it was all about exams, where it was like, please follow the uh, the tests and follow the roads and do everything. We are so bad in the UK at like championing people and being like, let's go, let's try, let's just do something and be like aggressively positive about it. And the reasons why Americans can be so much more direct than we can It's because I fuck. I don't fucking swear, that yeah, no, I you really believe that you care about me because you're like, yeah, let's go. But also, that was crap. That quadrant of championing someone, being a real cheerleader for someone, but also being able to say, yeah, and you need to do better. We just don't exhibit that. We're so bad at exhibiting that behavior in the UK. We don't give that life-affirming belief to people. <laughs> And so that's why we struggle, because the way that we care is a lot subtler and a lot softer, and it's not as obvious. And so it becomes way harder to match those two together. How do we operationalize it? We operationalized it. I'm a big believer that feedback should happen as much in the moment as possible. So we should time box it. So I don't want something in three, four weeks. And so that's why I'm a much bigger believer that we should put feedback in the hands of Managers and people that you're working with, that's the type of feedback culture we want to build. So like, I want to know that day, that week at a minimum, if I've done something that hasn't been useful or effective.
1: And also has been. Like, We're always focusing on the negative bits, but oftentimes the positive bits aren't shared either and people don't realize what they're really good at.
2: Right. And this is something that I, I'm often talking to people about. Someone on our leadership team will say to me, ah, oh, this person this week, they were great. They like showed up, they had great energy, they had great attitude, they were like solving problems. And I was like, okay, cool. That's the headspace we want them in. Did we tell them that's how I want you to show up? Or did we not tell them? Because we need to say to people, yeah, this zone you're in, stay in this zone. Yeah, I totally agree. It should be constructive. And constructive can be both positive and neutral negative if, if we want it to be. But it should be driven from a place of growth. And then I think you have to give people a framework to give good feedback because especially, let's say, in the UK, people aren't very good about it. We like to do a lot of shit sandwiches. We like to sort of soften stuff up. So, you know, we would always talk, and we still talk about it today. We talk about situation, behavior, and impact. So SBI, so... And name the situation, so a meeting, a moment, a piece of work. I talk about the behavior, so I depersonalize it. It's not, I'm angry at you, Brandon. It's about the behavior that you exhibited. So it is the lateness. It is the disorganization. It's the lack of critical thinking. It's the behavior. It's not Brandon. It's the behavior. And then to help you understand why this is important, we talk about the impact that it has. So the impact that that has on me is... I'm unable to do my work or it stresses me out and I am spending time worrying about it. So it's not person to person. It's not Ben wants to give Brandon feedback. It's the situation, the behavior that was exhibited, the impact that was created. I think that stops it becoming and feeling like an attack and helps people understand when I behave like this, this is how people respond and react to that.
0: So you've got a framework, SBI in this case, and my question to you is, how do you really embed that in the organization whereby it's actually, it comes alive? Because obviously there's a lot of uh, values, rules of the road, policies of organizations that never get lift off or never get off the paper. And for this one in particular, I can imagine for line managers, this is incredibly important that this tool of SBI in this case is engendered within those line managers whereby they're actually actively using on a regular basis, i.e. giving feedback within a time-boxed amount of time, and here's the structure of the feedback. So what is the way in which you lift it off the paper to allow it to really flourish within your organization?
2: Look, I would say the reality is is that I don't think there's ever really a moment where we've had a feedback culture that has been flourishing. I think it's probably naive to think that that's possible. And the reason why I would say it's possible is organisations are dynamic inherently. So people arrive and people leave and people change. So, you know, I became a dad in August last year. I'm a totally different CEO than I was. I'm a tired one. I've had to think about how do I do my job now? Like what is important in life? None of this other stuff that used to be as important. So organisations are dynamic. The way I would think about it for listeners is not... That we're trying to implement a framework to get to a place, and then we're just going to stay there. It's like we have a vision, we have something that we want to aspire to, and I think it's just about nudging and developing that behavior over time. And it will shift as your organization shifts. And these things are, I think, incredibly cyclical. They're incredibly rollercoastering in terms of you go through phases where you have lots of it, and phases where you have d- where you don't have lots of it. And, and I think a lot of that is contextual but to me the three key things are everything starts at the top I don't care how good your people team is how good your COO is unless your CEO or the people at the very top of the business are exhibiting it even if it's one person on the leadership team that is letting people down it's just never going to work you're always going to create cynicism in the organization because they're going to go oh they're telling us this is really important but there's someone that's completed the opposite of that. So if you believe in something enough, you have to have your leadership team wear it and walk that walk, which means giving good feedback, receiving good feedback in this this case, being okay to receive feedback. And then I think the second part is sharing the impact of these things. So people only see the value of some of this stuff if they understand how much it's helped people or improved people or created results and so it's about I think highlighting those in the organization so for example you know someone sharing a story with their team or one their line manager like oh you know I used to do x y and z and then I got this really impactful piece of feedback and now and I completely changed the way I looked at myself I completely changed the way that I the way that I work and that's really really valuable and so to me those are the two I think that are really, really important.
1: And then what are Charlie HR's values? I'm just curious, do they underpin or help underpin radical candor?
2: We sort of talk about high-performance behaviours and there are four thematically. The first one is be humble. So that's very feedback orientated. It's very much like ego is, you know, we all have ego, obviously, because we're all human and we need some ego to protect ourselves. But I don't want any damaging ego It's not useful. We win as a team or we don't win at all. We'll definitely fire a hotshot salesperson that's killing their quota if their ego is aggressive. We just don't need that. Second is give energy. So life's way too short to work with people to bring bad energy.
1: And this is where good feedback can come from. There's nothing that doesn't make people feel awesome as just saying that was an amazing meeting, but not that was an amazing meeting. That was an amazing meeting when you did this specific thing, that specific thing, and this person reacted that way rather than you were awesome.
2: I worked with this advisor once who was incredibly direct and gave amazing feedback, super useful feedback, but just made me feel crap about myself. You can give someone the most useful insights in the world But I truly believe if you want the best out of someone, make them feel amazing and they will run through a wall for you. That's how to do these things. And the third is get uncomfortable. So, you know, we really want people to like try and fail stuff. It's a very safe organization. We're not going to like call people out for failing. We're more likely to let someone go because they're not taking a risk. Um, So we like, we really want people to put themselves in in an uncomfortable situation. The fourth is, to be results-orientated, not input-orientated. So like, you know, we've all got people in our companies or we've worked with people that want to show you that they're really busy. Not interested in that. I'm interested in the people that are like, cool, this is what we created. These are the results that we created. And How you get there is kind of unique to you. Would you say
0: that it's worthwhile to take radical candor as a concept and to try to systematize it in some form for the organization? Or to your point, you know, is it more simply about leadership leading by example and using frameworks like SBI to really show the rest of the organization in terms of, you know, how best to give constructive feedback and really give examples of where it's been highly effective as kind of use case examples and demonstrate that to the company in some form? Or what would that set of recommendations be, do you think?
2: So I would say that Kim's framework and her thesis is the single best example and I think the easiest and simplest example that exists to show the value of true and good feedback. So I would implore everyone to read it, absorb it, and I would use it as a North Star to design your approach for how you build your organizations and how you think about feedback. Um, and and Kim would be the first to say that you have to adapt these things to any organization. And so as an inspiration point, it is superb. But I think, yeah, we should never take everything at face value and we should think about how do we how do we how do we take it and turn it into into our organization. And I my recommendation on all these things is always to just start incredibly small. We all like to run away and write big plans and long documents, but just do something tomorrow. Just like if you're a manager listening, just just say to your team, hey, I think we could be better about how we give each other feedback. I'd love everyone to model the behavior. I'd like everyone to like give me a piece of feedback next week. But I think start small and and do something sooner rather than later rather than sitting on your hands and writing a big old plan.
1: And waiting for the right moment. It's a bit like having kids. You're just going to have to go and jump in and start doing it.
2: Yeah, 100%.
1: Awesome. So Ben, I'm sure we could keep talking, but we're rapidly running out of time if there is one thing either you've said or not said yet that our listeners could take away with them from our conversation today or from Radical Candor, what would that be?
2: There's probably something that you do that you don't know you do that's holding you back from being the best version of yourself in whatever context that is. And it's absolutely in your best interest to find that out. So set yourself up set your relationships up with the people around you so that they feel comfortable and and okay to kind of start sharing that stuff with you because yeah it's always going to be useful it's always going to be helpful
0: thank you ben thank you for joining us on the operations room if you like what you hear please subscribe or leave us a comment and we will see you next week